Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 23. Today is Palm Sunday and we are going to see a beautiful picture of God's love for people. A beautiful picture of God's love for Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means city of peace. We will also see the gospel truth that Jesus wants to bring peace to war-torn souls. But he only does so for willing hearts. Take your Bibles to Matthew 23 and please stand with me. We're going to read verses 37 to 39. Let me just say before I read that the human race longs for peace yet often gets war. Whether it's from our own, in our own homes or in the Central African Republic and the coup that just happened. The human heart wants peace but often gets unrest. The reasons are similar. We want something that our sinful pride fights against. Let's read God's word. Let's trust him to change our hearts. Matthew 23, beginning at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the joyful privilege to stand and open your word, to hear your very word. Thank you, Lord, that that by your spirit you use your word in the lives of your people to grow and to deepen and to challenge and to comfort and to change. Lord, we ask that you would have your way with us now, that we would get out of the way and that you would teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The name Jerusalem means city of peace. Yet there would be no peace for Jerusalem because the people had totally rejected God by killing the prophets, as Jesus said, and stoning those he sent. Jesus said he longed to gather the children together to bring them peace, but they rejected Christ and forfeited the peace that he would bring. Jeremiah chapter 6 said that they heal the wound of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. The psalmist said that those have, some have speech as smooth as butter, yet war in their hearts. He says, I am for peace, but when they speak, they are for war. The psalmist also says they do not speak peace, but devise words of deceit in their hearts. These three verses we're looking at today are Jesus' last recorded public words to Israel. Now, the the title of this sermon is 
a view from a cross town. Not a view from across the town, but a view from a town of crosses. And the reason why I, I've named it this is because why am I calling Jerusalem a cross town is because it was a place of crucifixion and it was a place of the most famous crucifixion. It was said that the Jewish king Alexander Janaeus crucified 800 rebels, supposedly Pharisees, in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. Jewish historian Josephus tells stories of of the Romans crucifying people along the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Constantine the Great, the first Christian emperor, abolished crucifixion in 337 AD out of veneration for Jesus Christ. But the city of peace couldn't make peace. In its long history, it had been destroyed, besieged, attacked, captured, and recaptured countless times. This troubled city has not seen much peace over the years, even to this day. But what we see in, in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39, is God's heart being poured out in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see intense feeling. Verse 37, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Repeating a name is, is significant. Repeating a name is a Hebrew expression of intimacy, of closeness. God was into repeating names. In Genesis 22, he, he, cried, he called out to Abraham, Abraham, repeating his name as he was about to bring the, sword, the, the, the knife down to, to sacrifice his son at God's command. He called out Jacob, Jacob, telling him to have no fear of going down to Egypt because he would make him a great nation there. He called out to Moses, 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 from the burning bush. God was into repeating names. He confronted Martha. Martha, Martha. You've made the minor things major and you've, you've forgotten the most important thing. Worshiping Jesus. He warned Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. And when he saved Paul, he cried out to him, Jesus himself cried out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There's deep emotion. When God is about to make a dramatic statement, he, he doubles the name. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of David, where God had revealed himself in the temple. This, this city had become known as, as the city that killed the prophets and stoned those sent to her. God would never bless that type of behavior. And Jesus is telling his hearers that there is that there's nothing new in all this since Abel was murdered at the beginning of human history, Jesus said. Right down to the murder of Zechariah in the temple. God's true followers have been persecuted by those who profess, get this, to be the true church. The scribes and the Pharisees thought they were favored, thought they were in with God, thought they were right. But Jesus is saying there is a day of reckoning coming. God will not be mocked. Now you really have to look at the bigger context in Matthew of chapter 23 here. And really it opens up in Matthew 21, 22, and 23. 
What is happening in these chapters is that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on what was known as Palm, as what we know as, as Palm Sunday. People spreading their cloaks out on the road and putting branches down, I guess palm branches. How you would greet a king. Then there were the woes that we have seen for a number of weeks. And we look at these woes of Jesus. And it's very easy for someone to say, wow, how how, how, how harsh he is being. But what you see is that the prophetic ministry of Jesus, really in Matthew 21, 22, and 23, includes the authority to speak in judgment over others. That is what he was doing. One writer said in pronouncing the woes of chapter 23, Jesus was not merely attacking verbally those who did not agree with him, but he was formally pronouncing judgment on the Jewish leaders in a way that implied that he had the authority to do so. He is the authoritative king. So the actions of these three chapters, him coming into Jerusalem, him cleaning the temple, cleansing the temple, and then cursing the fig tree, and then the teaching that he did portray him as the king whose words are authoritative and true. So none of this was uttered as a harsh, cold diatribe. It wasn't heartless. It was full of the heart of God for people. It was full of the love of God. It was flavored with love and compassion and mercy and grace. Jesus is is bewailing the behavior in the deepest sense. He is lamenting over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that knew so many privileges, the city that was so blessed by God and so sinful and so rejecting. They, they responded by killing the messengers of God, just like the parable of the tenants in Matthew 23 had illustrated. They were rejected. But it was, it was not for any reason in God that, that Jerusalem did not enjoy the blessing of God's covenant salvation. In Jesus Christ, God had come down to Jerusalem. David's son had come to Jerusalem. The, the messianic king had come into Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is really like telescoping the, the point of reference here. He's saying, what God has done through the ages... I've been doing the past three years. And what had Jesus been doing for the past three years? Jesus had been pleading with Jerusalem to repent. Preaching repentance and faith in Christ is not always the most popular thing, but it is what people need. Jesus had been pleading with Jerusalem to repent, but they didn't repent. They they. They persisted in unbelief. They persisted in perpetrating evil. And now they're on the brink of shedding innocent blood again. This time by rejecting Jesus himself. This time by killing him on the cross. This is what is happening. Verse 37, he is lamenting over Jerusalem. Uh, These are among the most touching words that Jesus uttered. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem privileged, blessed city, the guilty, sinful city. We see a picture of God's great love. Really, in this passage, it's a very simple type of outline. You, You first see God's great love and Israel's immense hate in verse 37. 
And then you see in verse 38 God's righteous and just results. And then in verse 39, really the the idea that God blesses believers who receive His free grace in Christ while He judges unbelievers who reject His compassionate love. Verse 37, he says, How often I desired, I wanted to gather your children together. You see this great picture of God's great love, this, this beautiful picture. Like a, he says, like a hen gathers her chicks, her brood. Now, I'm not sure if you've spent much time around chickens, but I'm sure you've eaten a lot of it because we eat a lot of chicken here in America, right? But if you've, if you've spent any time around live chickens especially a sitting hen and her chicks, you learn something significant. You learn that she will often gather them under her wings to protect them from, let's say, wolves or you or I. And if you get too close, she will become quite vocal. She starts speaking chicken speak and and saying things like, if we could translate, it would be, you stay back, you keep your distance, stay away from the perimeter. Or I'll come out you like a ninja or a crazy chicken. <laughs> Basically, she'll say, you can't have my babies. They're mine, and I'm going to protect them. In fact, she, uh, Mother Hen will do everything in her power to protect her chicks. She's hardwired to protect them. So there's this protection, this rest, this warmth, this well-being, that, like a mother hen giving her chickens, these defenseless, dependent little creatures. And Jesus is saying, I wanted to gather you just like that. Here's God's tender, mighty love. This wonderful salvation. Jesus came to save. He said that in his own words. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And he wants to save. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him by faith. He offers to save. He said, I wanted to do this. But what was the result? What was the result? What was Jerusalem's reply? What was Israel's reply to him? It was no, No, we're not going to do it. They weren't willing to yield to God because they loved their own sin more than they loved God. There's this compassion on Jesus' part that just bleeds through. I think it tells us something about the compassion of God for the lost and His kindness towards all that we do well to mark, that we do well to note, that we do well to to practice in our own lives it's very easy for us to become very bold about sharing the truth and then becoming cold towards people jesus is pouring out his heart for jerusalem we need to pour out our heart for people you see in verse 38 god's righteous and just results he says your house is left to you desolate it's going to be abandoned it's going to be left to, you're going to be left to your own devices. You're judged. In fact, we see Paul saying a very similar thing to the Jews in, in Acts chapter 18. Here's Paul, and he goes to, to Corinth, and he is preaching. Acts 18.5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. 
And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You rejected the message? I'll go to those who will listen. One writer said that Christ can save from the worst sin. But none can be saved who willfully reject him. Christ will save you from any sin that you can commit while living here on earth as long as you want to repent of that sin, as long as you want him more than that sin. But he will not save you if you are not willing to turn from your sins and turn to him. None can be saved who willfully reject him. Jesus says in verse 39, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quote from Psalm 118. Go with me there. Psalm 118. I want to show you the context of, of, of Psalm 118. It's, it's about God's love. The psalmist is, is celebrating God's love. It begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. It's an exclamation of praise to God because of His love. In verse 19, it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. He is wanting God's righteousness. He knows He doesn't have any on His own, and He wants God's, and He wants to be able to thank the Lord. It says in verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. God answers the prayer that says, I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you to save me. Verse 22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day? We like to apply that to every day, right? You can apply it to every day. But what day is Psalm 118 talking about? Let's keep reading. Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. There's Hosanna. Hosanna, we pray, O Lord, save us. Verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is is God. What day is Jesus talking about when he says these words in Matthew 23, 39? A lot of people will say, well, he's talking about Palm Sunday. Remember when they came into Jerusalem, that's what the people cried out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The only problem with that view for this is that that already happened in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 21. Go with me there. Palm Sunday had already happened when Jesus was saying these words. Matthew chapter 21, they, they came, they, the beginning of the chapter, they come near to Jerusalem, they go and get the colt, he goes and gets on the donkey, and, and it's, it fulfills the scripture, your, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and the disciples go and does, do everything Jesus said. And the crowds went before and followed after him. We're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Everyone's excited. Most of them didn't even believe. They were just caught up with the crowd. But what is Jesus talking about in Matthew 23, 39? He is not talking about Palm Sunday. He didn't say, he didn't say, um, by the way, I remember when you said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What day is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about a day when people will greet him, some of whom believe in the Lord Jesus and and are saved, and some persist in unbelief. He is talking about his second coming. He is talking about when he comes again in judgment. It's not Palm Sunday. That was in 21 verse 9. This is something else. This is the second coming. And and what Matthew refers to is, is actually perfectly clear. The Greek literally translated is, you will not see me from now until you say. And it is tied to the end of time. So, so this verse does not look forward to Jesus' resurrection appearances, but to his, his return when all will acknowledge him. As Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The context strongly implies that the second coming of Christ spells judgment. Just go with me to chapter 24. They knew what he was talking about. The disciples knew what he was talking about. Look at verse 3. He came and sat at the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? They knew exactly what he was talking about. But God in his grace is merciful. In fact, these words, quoting Psalm 118, keeps open the way that Jesus will be received by the people who are hearing him. He will either be received as consuming judge on unbelievers or the welcomed king of believers. I've said it so many times before, but if your heart is still beating, you are still conscious, there is hope for you if you're not a believer in Jesus. And if, there, if you are, if you say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm living like hell, and no one knows I'm a believer, and your heart is still beating, and you're still conscious, there is room, a time for you to repent. Only God knows how much time. It's interesting, these words... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord were used by priests in greeting the worshipers coming to the temple. But Jesus is saying he is going to be greeted with these words. Now the scribes and the Pharisees were getting in the way of of God drawing people to himself. They They were blurring things. They were obscuring things. They were responsible for their sin, but so was everyone else hearing these words. Everyone in Israel... God is offering terms of peace to war-torn souls, and it's very clear how it comes about. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 even tells us even more clearly, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace only comes through faith in Christ. So the only response is yield now and be at peace with Him. You hear the gospel, you've got you to yield and be at peace with God. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
Now you look at these, these verses and verse 37, this whole idea of God's great love, his compassionate love, but Israel's hate of him. You also see the idea that there's this self-will that is getting perpetuated where they will not yield to God. They will not go with him. He says, you were not willing. So verse 38, we've got this blessing uh, versus judgment. There are the consequences of rejecting Christ. And really, verse 39 is, is really a life versus death type of thing. You will either praise Jesus in life or, or praise him in eternal death. You will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But whether you acknowledge him as the welcomed king or the consuming judge, that's another story. Now, I think there's several direct implications for our lives in these verses, really embedded in these verses and coming out clearly in these verses for our lives, not only for our lives, but our households, the people with whom we reside, and not only for our lives and households, but for the church of Christ and for this particular church and for everywhere we go and are sent by God out into the community and to the ends of the earth. There are several things. Let me point out the first as it relates to Jerusalem, as it relates to verse 37. This city of peace that wouldn't make peace. God is, is in his love appealing to them to make peace with him. To be at peace with him, but not only to be at peace with him, but then show it in their lives by being at peace with people. Be at peace with God and man. If you want to know what it looks like, just go with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll get a good picture of that in verses 13 to 18. Here's Jesus who, who has said, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are prophet killers. <laughs> the city of peace became, really the city of God became the city of Satan. So what does James say? Here's James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, I love the, 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 book, the, the letter to James, of James because it reads like the Sermon on the Mount. Very straightforward, very honest, very clear, and very compassionate. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So he's saying this is not God's wisdom, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's from Satan. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Make peace with God and man. And it goes right along that there should be righteousness and we cannot be like the scribes and Pharisees who had all these woes pronounced upon them in chapter 23 because they were trusting in their own righteousness. We can't presume to think that we can come to God and say, well, I'm, I'm bringing, I want Jesus, but I'm bringing my own righteousness. Mine's pretty good and I think you're going to be pretty pleased with what I've done. It just can't happen. You've got to be clothed with Christ's righteousness, not your own. Look with me at Philippians 3. 
I mean, who, who would be a better example of coming to God with their own righteousness than the Apostle Paul before he came to know Christ, before Jesus knocked him down off his high horse and, and showed him the truth? Here's Paul with this resume, shiny trophies on the shelf. I mean, if there was any Jew that could brag, it was Paul. Saul at the time. Here's what he said in verse 8. He said, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. A.K.A. trash. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's why he could say, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings because I want to become like him in his death. We've got to be clothed with Christ's righteousness, not our own. The scribes and the Pharisees, man, they had robes of righteousness, didn't they? And Jesus said, you're through. You're through. I think what this also tells us, especially with verses 38 and 39, this judgment that happens and the fact that they would not, they would not come to Christ is that you've got to lose your life for Christ's sake. Just like Paul said, I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. It's very, we, are, we are hardwired to fight for our rights as Americans. We get in fights with our spouses and our kids over our rights. We get in, in fights with people in the grocery store that we've never met before over our rights. We get in fights in traffic with people we've never seen in our whole lives before over our right to a lane. I think uh, what, what happens, though, is that when we fight for our rights, we find that we're fighting against God. You have kids? You got shocked when they got born, right? You're like, man, this is a sinful kid. Well, what did you expect? Sinful parents, sinful kid. Sin through Adam. Hello? Well, a shock to the system. There's two. Look what they got. You can't... Fight against God by fighting for your rights. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 16. Very, very clear. He said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me, you want to call yourself a Christian, you want to call yourself a believer, or a disciple of Christ, then let him deny himself. What does that mean? It means to repudiate yourself. Reject yourself and your sinful tendencies and your lostness in Adam and basically take up your cross and follow Christ. Deny yourself and believe in Jesus to the point of yielded life and yielded will. He said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will, what? Find it. You'll have it. Now, I need you to brace yourself for something I'm going to say because some of you came from traditions that I'm going to say one word and it's going to throw you in a tizzy, okay? So I just want you to know, just be careful right now with this word I'm going to give you, okay? Lent. Not lending people things, but Lent. There's a, there's a whole group of people in the world that even um, since, since a, a thing called Ash Wednesday has been giving something up up until Easter, 40 days, even 44 days before Easter so that they would... Maybe worship God more in, in the case of some people. 
or maybe be more acceptable to God in, in, in other. It, it's, you know, it's not bad in and of itself, but it can become a very bad thing. People could use it to say, hey, God, now you owe me. I, I, said, I said no to myself, so now you owe me because I've been good. So you've got to love me more. And loving me more means giving me more of what I want. We're, hard, we're hardwired for that too, aren't we? Lent. Why do I bring up Lent? Well, because... The silliest thing to think is that God is going to love you more based on something that, that you do that l- makes your, yourself look really earnest or really sincere. I mean, Christians do it all the time. I read my Bible more, so God owes me. I pray more, so God owes me. We think weird, unbiblical ways a lot of times. I, I love Biola University's... Um, billboard campaign i've seen two in in orange recently think biblically about everything that's a good start but let me ask you a question some people go man i lent you got to be kidding me is there anything biblical about giving something up is there anything biblical about i saw one person nod yes I got one person with me right here. Uh, Is there anything biblical about giving something up? We just read it. Jesus said, lose your life. I'm talking 40 days. I'm talking the whole thing. (laughs) See, it would be a good thing if if you were, as one of my friends says, a gospel-saturated disciple. I I like that terminology, gospel-saturated follower of Jesus. It would be a good thing if we we look to make disciples of jesus it would be a really good thing to sacrificially serve jesus but some people seem to think just maybe by observation or even by hearing them talk that the heart of the christian life is just adding jesus to your already pretty good life yeah hey, i'm pretty righteous already jesus kind of cleaned me up a bit i was just a little soiled no no you were dead in sin some people think they could just add Jesus and not subtract gossip and slander and hatred and lying and any other sin they might want to commit. God wants us to be bold in declaring the truth and compassionate, not cold, towards people. And, and God would be very pleased if the whole church worked together in that pursuit. Not just this church, but the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, comprised of born-again believers in Jesus. I don't know if this group contains all born-again believers in Jesus, but I'm going to say probably not. Jesus said there's going to be wheat and and weeds, but the whole church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, not the ones that look like the church of Jesus Christ, but the, the true church of Jesus Christ should work together. I like how John Stott put it. The church should be what the gospel already says it is. A community, a family, made one in Christ, and only then will the world see Christ as peacemaker. God does not command what he does not provide. The gospel brings people together in Christ who would not get along outside the church because of their sin. peace with god there was the city of peace that couldn't make peace if you want peace with god it only comes through faith in christ you got to yield your life but there's something else 
peace with man comes through yielding your rights and it, if you have peace with God you ought to have peace with man Hebrews tells us Hebrews says in, in chapter 12 verse 14 strive for peace with all people and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord what does that mean? It means you need to strive for peace with all people and the sanctification, God at work in the life of a believer, no one's going to see Jesus without that going on in their life. I don't care if you've been a believer one second or 55 years. If you're a believer in Jesus, God is at work in your life to make you more like Christ. That's what Romans 8 tells us. I'm wondering... I've asked myself this question this week. Am I willing to be at peace with man because it illustrates peace with God? Am I willing to do that? You think about uh, the city of peace who couldn't make peace with God or man and continues to be a hotbed of war. Are we willing? I think that our love for others is seen most not in dramatic displays of love, but in small daily actions because of what Jesus has done on the cross and in rising from the dead and in promising to return. But we need to give up our life and our rights, not fighting with God or others. But let me ask you a question. Uh, This is uh, aimed at two people. First of all, you who do not know Jesus. You say, I'm not, I don't know Jesus. I'm, I'm waiting. I've heard the gospel over and over again, but I don't really want him in my life right now, and I don't, can't really figure it out, and I'm too sinful, or whatever else you want to say, and I'm just not going to do it yet. I'm going to wait. Or let's just say the other person is a person who's a believer who claims to be a believer in Christ, but is at constant war with other people. You're constantly in conflict. You're like, I can't ever get along with anyone. To both of you, I would say this. Jesus is going to say your name twice because he wants to get your attention he wants you to hear him that that idea of saying the name twice the idea of 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 the love of god wanting to reach into your heart and say stop fighting you know when god when jesus says look jerusalem jerusalem you you wouldn't do it I wanted to, but you wouldn't. It's like they were holding razor blades in their hands and squeezing really tight and thinking that was good for them. He wanted to save them even from themselves. It's interesting, you can't pretend to have a deep relationship with Jesus because Jesus will call you out. Jesus said, there will be a lot of people that will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that and the other thing for you and he's going to say i never knew you depart from me but jesus loves people god is so awesome he he expresses his love that's what we see in this passage jesus is pouring out his love for people in this passage don't let easter sneak up on you it's a sneaky holiday I mean, look, you, you have Christmas, and it's great, and then you go New Year's, and that's awesome, but then the next thing you know, wham, upside the head, you get hit with Easter. And you're like, oh, I gotta start thinking about, oh, uh, feeling bad about my sin because Jesus died on the cross, or something like that. Don't let Easter sneak up on you if you're a believer. Ask God to prepare your heart and, and make sure you know where you stand with God. 
If you're not a believer, don't let the day of the Lord overtake you like a thief in the night. Be ready today for that day that only God knows, of that day and hour that only the Father knows. City of peace, unable to make peace due to hate, but the Prince of Peace gives lasting peace because of His great love. You know, when you're truly at peace with God and man, the gospel possibilities are just endless because the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God in your life unhindered. In your life, in your family, in, in your other associations. And, and one of my friends said, well, yeah, but I got the big three going on. I got pride and I've got selfishness and I've got envy that get in the way. Don't we all? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Bible tells us great peace have those who love God's word. The Bible tells us that he will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. When Jesus was born, it was announced peace on earth. Jesus said that I'm leaving my peace with you and I'm giving my peace with you. He speaks peace to his people. The Prince of Peace. Isn't it interesting that we, we see God's glory most surprisingly in the cross? Displayed in the cross where man's lack of peace met the one who is true peace. You know, God planned for Jerusalem to be the cross town to display his glory in Christ. And all who love Jesus will one day see coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, the new Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of the Prince of Peace. And in that city there will be no war, in that city there will be no hatred, no unrest, no sin. It will be all peace because of God's great love for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we truly can see your glory most surprisingly displayed in the cross. Where our utter lack of peace met you who is, you who are peace. And thank you, Lord, for your perfect timing. I pray for all who hear these words that they, we would would know you and know the peace you bring. All because of your heart for us that would then inspire our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.